Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode one forty. We think it's seven, but I'm gonna triple check. Yeah, see, one forty-six. Yeah, one forty-seven. Look 147. at that. Let's go. Handy <laughs> dandy notebook coming through clutch. <laughs> handy dandy notebook. <clears throat> All right, so here we are. So last week we did a. I don't even want to call it a controversial episode, but we did a episode that was on. Do dogs have emotions? I need to turn this music off downstairs. This shit is fucking cranking. <laughs> I didn't realize how loud it was until I started talking. There we go. Sorry, everyone. Holy <laughs> shit. Background music. The ambiance was just piping. Yeah. Um, so we we talked about do dogs have emotions? Yeah. Right? And we kind of got into the ins and outs of it. And it was a totally off-the-cuff episode. Mm-hmm. There was not a whole lot of preparation going into it. <laughs> So I gave my kind of two cents on it. We got some interesting dialogue in the comment section. Mm -hmm. So today I want to kind of explore that topic a little bit further here. And I just hopped on YouTube and just basically Googled, do dogs have emotions? Mm -hmm. And I found a TED Talk by Dr. Gregory Burns on how dogs love us. Um, Dr. Gregory Burns, I'm sure will explain who he is, but it looks like he's a some sort of neuroscientist or some some shit like that. Yeah, whatever. Um yeah, so we're going to watch this and we're cool. going to we're going to react to it. Like you ready? It. Yes. All right, Gregory Burns. Let's <laughs> see what we got. How many of you are dog people? Show of hands. Excellent. How about cat people? Okay, you guys can go to the break early. <laughs> okay, so of the dog people, and the cat people who want to be dog people. How many of you have thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to know what my dog is thinking? And I think everyone else already knows what their dog is thinking, right? Well, I got into this project, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I... This is basically a a stupid dog trick story. Um, It really started with this dog named Newton, who was really my favorite dog. I've had many dogs through my life, uh, but Newton was my favorite, and he lived to be about 15 years old. And after he passed away, I thought, you know, I have these tools, this MRI machine that I've been using for decades to study human decision-making and what motivates people. Why haven't we used this on other animals? Certainly other animals have many of the same feelings and motivations that people do. But this is kind of an area of science that people don't like to talk about. And so I embarked on this project about four years ago to try to figure out what dogs think, and specifically what dogs think of us. Whether you're shredding down the slopes, cozying up by the fire, or skip. Now, if we're talking about humans, we have kind of two ways we can think about Uh, what other people are thinking. We can either ask them, and sometimes they will tell us if they know and and they want us to know what they're thinking, or we can observe actions and we can observe behaviors and we can try to infer things about what people are thinking from their actions. With animals and dogs, of course, we can't really ask them. Well, we can ask them and we may think that they tell us, but we really don't know what they're thinking. And so we're, we're kind of left with their behaviors. We can observe their actions and we can try to infer what they're thinking. Now, this is, this is the foundation of behaviorism and it's been around since Pavlov. But there are, of course, very tricky issues here. 
And humans being humans, we tend to anthropomorphize everything. So it's kind of in this area that I became very interested and intrigued with the possibility of trying to figure out what dogs are thinking by using MRI. And the technique is straightforward. It's been around for decades. And the idea is if we were studying a human, we would put a human in an MRI, have them do some type of task, and we'd measure blood flow or brain activity and then try to figure out what parts of the brain do what. Very straightforward. If you've had an MRI, it's not terribly pleasant, but people will do it. So how do we do this with other animals? How do we do it with a dog? Well, I'm going to show you, and then I'll show you what we found. So here's a short video. It's a, what we call our training video, and it demonstrates how we did this. Now, before I start it, you're going to see two dogs in this video. The first dog, Callie, is my dog. She was actually the replacement for Newton, and she was adopted here in Atlanta from the Humane Society, and we, we loved Newton so much we could never get another pug, so Callie is the anti-pug, you'll see. Uh, the other dog you'll see is Mackenzie, a border collie, and we'll just kind of get right into it, and I'll narrate as we go along. So this is Mark Spivak. He's my partner in this endeavor. He's a dog trainer. And the first thing that we had to do is figure out how do we get dogs to go into a tube, around, put a head coil around their head to pick up the brain waves, and hold absolutely still. And what you're seeing here is Callie is not a particularly obedient dog. She has no particularly uh, uh, special skills. And, but she does have one very good trait, and that is she likes hot dogs. Now, Mark is doing what we call clicker training. So every time she approximates what we want her to do, he clicks, and then she gets a hot dog. Now, this is the very first time she's been introduced to the thing we call the head coil. And so we didn't know at this point whether this was even going to be possible. This dog, Mackenzie, a border collie, is highly trained. Uh, she's very skilled in agility. And her owner, as you'll see, gets her to sit in this coil very quickly. Good girl. Lots. Yes. Hit him with the German commands. Yeah. yeah, basically, <laughs> we're looking for for the brain, the brain thing, yes. to, the brain case to be in the center of, of it, right there. Okay. That's good. The brain case. So if, if, if you've had an MRI, you know that you're told not to move, right? And this is, this is the big challenge of doing this. And up until this point, I didn't know if this was going to be possible until I saw this. And this was literally after about five minutes of training. Focus when I saw that, I yeah. knew we could do this. So what you saw Mackenzie doing was close, but not quite good enough. Touch. What we're going after, if we're to achieve data that uh, compares to humans, you are is perfect, excellent, yeah. perfect job. Uh, Mark told me I had to be uh, more demonstrative than I am normally. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That's actually super genius with the fucking chin rest like that yeah, to get is. total stillness with it. Because really, there's like no other way you're going to get a dog to like ensure no they keep their head totally stable on the ground. Yeah. 
That's pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> so what you noticed we did was we introduced a little chin rest because we have to give the dogs a target to put their, their head on. And Mackenzie adapts to this very quickly. And she's in, actually, you can tell she's actually in a simulator now for an MRI that we built. And she's doing quite well, but this is actually still too much movement. The really difficult part of this is the noise that a scanner makes. And you can hear this playing in the background. These are recordings that we made to acclimate the dogs to the training. It's very loud. This is being played at low volume just to get her used to it. But it's really about 95 decibels. It's like jackhammer loud. So this is after about a month or two of training. And we're at the real MRI now. And this is probably the most expensive training session ever performed. <laughs> we, we, the, we get charged about $500 an hour to use the MRI. And <clears throat> but we had to use the real thing at a certain point. At this point, we didn't even know how they would react to the magnetic field. And the, the key thing I want you to, to notice is that these dogs are doing it willingly and they enjoy it. And that is the whole point of this project. Excellent. We, we treat these animals as family members. We don't sedate them and we don't restrain them. And so this is actually after about two months of training. We've made some modifications to the chin rest and even a shelter dog like Callie can do this. If, if you look carefully, you also notice that she's wearing earmuffs. So <laughs> it's very important because the scanner is so loud and the dog's hearing is, is quite sensitive. So the other thing that we did <laughs> this is a scientific experiment, really. So that's the training video. And the hot dog, no hot dog hand signals, we, we started with this because we didn't know if this was going to work. And so we decided we needed to do something really simple. And this is just straight up Pavlovian conditioning where we taught the dogs two hand signals. This means hot dog and this means no hot dog. So if this technique w works, what we should see is activity in the rewards parts of their brain, the reward system to this hand signal, but not this signal. Um, now, I also uh, put up a, a slide here. Okay, so already I don't know exactly where he's going with this, yeah. but like he has two condition cues, right? He yeah. has a reinforcer and he has a non-reinforcer mm -hmm. marker, right? And instead of using a verbal one, he's, he's using a hand signal one. Yeah. And what he just said is if this works, we should see brain signals firing when the dog sees both of those. But like... Yeah. We don't need an MRI to know that a conditioned response, a Pavlovian conditioned response, yeah. is going to elicit involuntary positive or negative emotions in a dog. Yeah. So I'll be very interested to see as this video progresses if it gets any more in-depth than yeah, that. I hope so, yeah. Because <laughs> if it doesn't, that's going to be a major bummer of a freaking 18-minute <laughs> <laughs> video to tell us something yeah. that we already know. Yeah. <laughs> Once we started doing this, <coughs> word got out amongst the community here in Atlanta that 
you know, we're doing this crazy dog scanning project and we're looking for volunteers, especially people who like to train dogs and have dogs that are very well behaved. That is still true. If you have a dog that can do this or you think can do this, talk to me because the project is still going on and it's gotten quite large. So you've seen the, the kind of the preliminary videos. This is one of my favorite photos because it kind of captures, this is I think the first day we were actually doing scanning. It captures the human confusion <coughs> here. You know, we're just <laughs> standing around trying to figure out how we're going to do this. But, but Callie knows. She's been trained. She's been doing this for two months and so she's ready to go. And uh, the head wrap is just to keep the, the earplugs in place, the earmuffs. This is what it looks like from the other end, from the business end of the scanner. This is actually a dog named Zen. He's a uh, yellow lab golden retriever. When your hotel room is your bedroom and your living room and your dining room. And what we're studying initially is, like I said, just the reward system response. And very simply, we've got these two hand signals. And the idea is we compare the brain response to these two things. So they're then going to probably compare, okay, so this is what the brain looks like when eliciting a positive response or a negative response, and then they'll correlate that to likely different things. Like, oh, they show the dog they're human, yeah. or they show their dog, you know, something that they don't like, like the nail clippers or something like that, yeah. and the positive or negative correlation between the two will let them know like, oh, your dog likes this or doesn't like this. But that kind of gets to the overarching thing that I said last time, which is like, like if they're going to, let's say this study goes on and, you know, they do that. They figure out what, what brain signals fire when the dog has a positive association with something like the reward, right? The hand signal yeah. for reward or, or hot dog, uh -huh. right? And then they show a human and it's the same brain signals firing. Yeah. That does not equal love, <laughs> right? Love is like more complex emotion yeah. as we looked up last time from the standpoint of they said there are very specific, you know, a, a sequence of, of signals firing in the brain that they're able to correlate and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, this would just get back to my, my whole, like they could, they could see things in a positive light or a negative light and then yeah. different ends of a spectrum of arousal. Right. <laughs> As I said, we have many dogs doing this now. It's not just shelter dogs. We have dogs uh, from uh, service dog organizations. We have shelter dogs, really all sorts of breeds. Okay. So before I show you some of the results, I do want to say something about brain anatomy. Now, a dog brain, this slide is not to scale. A dog brain is probably about the size of a plum or a lemon, maybe, depending on the size of the dog. It's not big. So even if you have a big dog, most of the head is muscle. So just kind of be aware of that. But I like putting up this slide because it, it shows the similarities of animal brains. And you can immediately make out kind of common structures. You can see uh, towards the right, that kind of very uh, pretty structure is the cerebellum that controls uh, various types of motor movement. And then below that, there's the brain stem. And really the parts of the brain that are different are what we call the cortex. And so that's the upper part, that's the, the folded part. And the big differences between dog and human have to do with the size of the cortex and how folded it is. 
What folding accomplishes is packing a lot more brain surface area into a, a specific volume. So generally speaking, the more folded a brain, the more surface area, the more brain power, if you will. So there's lots of similarities and there's some differences. What I'm particularly interested in are the similarities. Because if we're to have a, a commonality of experience with dogs and other animals, for that matter, we have to share the same or similar brain structures. Darwin said this 150 years ago. Okay, so what do the results look like? This is a very compact way of summarizing an experiment, which I showed you, where the dogs received two different hand signals, and we've averaged the results over, in this case, 12 dogs. I think that we've done this probably in over 20 dogs. And the orange areas show what parts of the brain are more active to this reward signal, this, this hot dog signal. Now, what I want to emphasize is the brain response is not directly to hot dogs, it's to the hand signal that means hot dogs. And you may think, well, that's not a, a big deal, it's still hot dogs, right? And it's no surprise that dogs like hot dogs. But it is a big deal because we train this signal. It's a symbolic representation of a hot dog that the dog has learned and has learned to recognize this meaning. And the particular parts of the brain that are being active are the reward system. Those kind of two hot spots, those, those uh, headlight type picture, that's in an area of the brain called the caudate nucleus. And it's the area of the brain that, that all mammals have. And it's the area that has the most dopamine receptors in the brain. It, it's kind of the key center that links reward and motivation with action. So normally when that's active in a human or really any other animal, it means that something important has happened and the animal needs to do something. In this case, it's quite simple because they will just eat the hot dogs. Well, so what? So we proved that dog brains like hot dogs. Well, that was just the beginning. And this uh, started about four years ago and we've since gone on and done many other experiments. Uh, most of the dogs that you saw in these pictures are still working with us in the project. We've done things looking at how their, their olfaction or their sensory uh, system for smell works, how they identify uh, different people and other dogs in their household by smell. And one of the things that we found, for example, is that this reward system, the same part of the brain, activates when the dogs smell a familiar human. Even if positive association, anticipation yeah. of positive association, right? So mm -hmm. hand signal, he said it's, it's important to distinguish that it does not mean, you know, it's a symbolic representation of hot dog, but yeah. it is not hot dog at its core. Yeah. It means that they could correlate that this has almost this involuntary response of the anticipation of something positive happening. Yeah. So what he's saying is that they could do the same thing with odor right? A smell can predict something positive happening as well, which again is just a basic, yeah. they like things, they don't like things. Yeah. They're just correlating the different senses to those can be the, the uh, neutral stimuli that anticipate those positive things. Mm. Humans not there. <clears throat> and so it shows that dogs have representations of us, of our identities that persist when we're not there. And so when people ask me, well, do dogs... But only if that's been conditioned in, right? Yeah. Only if the, they, through repetition over life, 
They smell you, then they find you. They smell you, then they find you. They smell you, then they find you. Over yeah. time, that odor will have a classically conditioned response to meaning you might be coming. Yeah. Dogs miss us when we're gone. I have to say yes, because... No. See, this is where we start getting subjective with things, right? <laughs> he, I have to say yes, right? He's making an assumption there, when in actuality, it is a classically conditioned response. Yeah. That could mean saying... Well, over time, I show the dog the hand signal, mm. and people ask, does my dog miss hot dogs when they're not present? <laughs> well, I have to say yes, yeah. <laughs> because the sight of the hand signal that means hot dog yeah. means that the dog really, really misses the hot dogs, but he's anthropomorphizing, what I always fuck up that word. Yeah humanizing things right mm -hmm. he's humanizing it to a complex human emotion of missing yeah right it's not that it is a biological classically conditioned association the dog has mm -hmm. that is not so deep of the dog just sitting at home without any triggers or associations or classically conditioned things just dwelling on the person <laughs> at that point unless in the next Three minutes, he's going to show me some sort of further evidence yeah, that proves so. that. And evidence that they are remembering their humans, that they care about them, and that it's associated with these rewards. Bullshit. See, th again, this is exactly what I said. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and this is where everybody's yeah. got their little spin on this. Of yeah. Just because you have classically conditioned a positive association, your dog has a positive association with a human, does not mean all of those then complex human emotions are associated with it. Yeah. Your dog just wants to access things that are pleasant to them, and being around you is pleasant. That's it. Yeah. Responses. <clears throat> is it still just hot dogs? So... To answer this question, one of the other things that we did was we actually repeated the experiment I showed you, where we showed the different hand signals. With one little twist, we manipulate who gives the signals. Yeah, so, so does this it is matter bullshit also. If <laughs> I'm already going to predict this ahead of time, right? So he said other people started giving the hand signals. Okay, conditioned responses are very, 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 they have to be done very accurately. Right, mm. Dogs do not generalize very well. You could show them four different types of dog beds, and they're not going to understand that every single one of them is a dog bed. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so this is where you get into the conversation of like, let's look at clicker training. Mm. Right. You'll notice earlier in the video, they were using a clicker to train a response. Right. Mm. A lot of people argue that a clicker is the most scientifically accurate marker you could use because of the sole fact that it is 100% consistent every time you use it. Yeah. You could click it, I could click it, he could click it, another dog can accidentally click it, but the sound that the dog will be hearing is exactly the same every single time. So due to that, the involuntary classically conditioned response is going to be the same no matter who does it. A hand signal is not that. Yeah. A hand signal is going to be different with every single person that does it. Yeah. Every single person that does it. So he's going to yeah. show that the dog only had the reward indicators when the owner did it. Because the owner's the only one that conditioned in mm -hmm. the hand signal with the dog. Yeah. Right? Like, it, yeah. It, that does not generalize. Oh, yeah, no. The dog's owner gives a signal. <laughs> or whether a stranger comes in and gives the signal, or even whether a computer gives the yeah. signal. Because if you believe Pavlov and all the behaviorists who followed him, 
it really shouldn't matter. Bullshit. No, it's different. Yeah. It's different. You giving a hand signal is different than another person giving a hand signal. Dogs can understand differences. And again, it's involuntary, right? So even me saying sit versus you saying sit, those are very different sounds. Yeah. Right? Say oh, sit. Yeah. sit. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's different. Yeah. Right? Like, so the dog is going to be hearing the discrepancies in it. Yeah. And all variables need to be consistent in order for that conditioned response to work, unless you generalize a lot. So let's look at boarding trains, right? When we send dogs home from boarding trains, right? One important thing that we have to do is even though we've conditioned in these cues, right? These words, these commands, we have to generalize them to multiple, multiple people before the dog starts understanding the differences and correlating it with yeah. all of the different individuals, Yeah. right? Well. Also, isn't it, I mean, if you just have some random person come in that the dog's never met to do these signals anyway, they're going to be standoffish anyway because they don't know the situation. Right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of different variables, right? Yeah. And that's where when you get into, again, like verbal markers and commands, they yeah. don't generalize well because the association of what predicts every individual one is going to be different from person to person. Yeah. Past just that, Right. Different people have different associations of already being positive or negative, like he's saying, yeah. right? Um, so the dog is going to be more or less focused to be able to respond to those condition responses. Yeah. Right? And this is where, like, people can get a little crazy with, you know, like he's talking about, well, Pavlov, well, he says it, should, it shouldn't matter, right? But there's yeah. so many variables. Oh, and yeah. when Pavlov studied these things, it was in controlled environments where it was consistent and the same every single time. There yeah. wasn't all these changing factors that would get the dog to be distracted or anything like that yeah you know any signal that indicates an upcoming food treat is all the same if animals are and dogs are just kind of another important variable to keep in mind is depending on the food motivation of the individual dog sometimes certain people if they have an inherently um you know if 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 investigating this person is more rewarding in the moment to the dog than the mm -hmm. food reward that they're presenting yeah your markers, even if they are conditioned in, aren't going to be as powerful still. Yeah. Right? They're, that's what we call competing motivators. The yeah, new person sure. is a competing motivator. The dog yeah. is more distracted and more interested in investigating them than trying to access reward from them because it's more valuable to the dog in that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. deeper than this. And this is where we over-intellectualize the emotions conversation and they spend all this time and money to learn something that we already know. Yeah, what do you say, 500 We already know, $500 Robots. But in fact, we did find a difference. And what's very interesting about it is that not all dogs are the same. So, Every for dog example, my dog, Callie, had a much greater response in that part of the brain when a stranger gave the signals, or even a computer, as opposed to me. And that could have had absolutely nothing to do with the signal and solely due to the fact that working with a new person is more stimulating. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Look at look at it like for me. My dogs like me. Mm. And I'm using the term like, obviously. My dogs have a positive association yeah. with me. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> let's keep it really, really simple. Yeah. Right? My dogs have a very positive association with me. But when new people come over the house... I, that goes out the window. I mean, yeah. I, obviously they still listen to me and I, they still have a positive association with me and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the new people coming over are more exciting in that moment. Mm. Right. Yeah. Where other dogs that have a 
more negative or neutral association with new people, you might still be the most exciting thing in the room when new people come over the house. And that's yeah. just a dog by dog basis. How much does your dog value other people? Yeah. Um, other dogs in the project, some of the uh, golden retrievers in the labs you saw, kind of had the opposite pattern, where their owners had really elicited the strongest brain response. This is, this is very interesting, because what it does is it provides us with a neural biomarker of, of a dog's personality profile. And in fact, what we've done is we've spun off a new project, which we're very excited about. Uh, we've partnered with Canine Companions for Independence, which is the largest service dog training organization in, in the United States. Now, if you know anything about service dogs, they are incredibly difficult to train. It's very expensive, and there's a very low success rate. Roughly about 35% of dogs that enter these programs to train to be a... I'm going to try to anticipate what he's going to say ahead of time. Okay. And he's going to say that they're going to use the MRI machine to ahead of time predict which of these dogs are going to be make better service dogs than others to eliminate some of the washout rate because service dog washout rate is so high because it's not the training that goes into the dog. It's is the dog genetically sound enough to be a good candidate to be a service dog, yeah. which at that point, that would be, in my opinion, a pretty cool <laughs> use of this. Yeah. Um, real quick before he goes into this. Also, do you think, you know, he, he's talking about, you know, the other people and you, you were talking about like, yeah. people coming in the home and they are more stimulating or whatever. I wonder if they even tried to figure out like, cause like, okay, I come over, you know, your dogs get excited. Sure. But after I'm here for like five minutes, they don't give a shit. It goes anymore. down a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if <clears throat> they even tried that like, oh, a few times with the same person and probably had the same result. Now, I would think. listen, we're, we're going off an 18-minute yeah. TED Talk right I now, know, obviously not reading all of his reports and stuff. So, like, again, I, I try to not judge too harshly, but I do judge what it is that I'm seeing in front of me. Yeah. And based on the information he's giving us, it doesn't sound like he's learned a whole lot. And it sounds like there's a lot of variables at play mm -hmm. that are being kind of just thrown out the window yeah. based on, like, based on these, like, really <laughs> nuanced, yeah. like, discrete kind of uh, uh, results that they're yeah, getting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Distance mm -hmm. dogs will succeed, and the other two-thirds end up being released and adopted to their puppy raisers. So we've partnered with CCI, and they are actually training their dogs to do the MRI procedure, and what we're going to do is try to predict which of those dogs will actually be good service dogs. Now, the problem with that potentially is <laughs> he talked about how it was like a three-month process of even training his dog in the first place to be able to be yeah. a good good candidate for this MRI machine, yeah. right? So so you get into, okay, they, they're trying to save time in training these service dogs, <laughs> yeah. right? But actually, they're creating more time to train them for this MRI <laughs> machine in the first place, yeah. right? And so I really love this project because... It shows that even though we started this just as kind of my silly example of, of trying to understand what my dogs think and whether they love me, it's actually gotten much bigger. Dogs, dogs are special. They are the first domesticated animals. They have been with humans since humans have been humans. And so when we look at their brains, it's almost like we're looking back in time and it's giving us a picture of how the dog-human bond formed. Thank you. 
the the picture you're getting is just the the only the thing that again that frustrates me about this is the only thing that they studied was what things elicit a positive response yeah right or a reward response in the dog's head yeah right there is no deep emotion behind that Mm. past just the things that create positive responses and he said they did it with visual responses to things right Mm -hmm. they did it with odor-based responses to things right Mm -hmm. but all it showed was certain things create more or less of a positive response than others right a sliding spectrum (laughs) of safety and danger positive or negative right yeah it's exactly what i said the other day yeah literally i mean right it's literally exactly it yeah the difference is as humans in this ted talk we're putting a more complex spin on it and we're trying to make it seem like it's something that it's not. Yeah. I mean, the, the <clears> most <throat> that you could get out of that is, is maybe three ways. Either they have a positive response, negative, or they have no response. Yeah. Like that, like that doesn't show anything of what he's trying to say. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. Like there's no positive or like and there's a positive response, but yes. it's not like, I love uh, you. <laughs> Yeah. You know? So so this is where, so this episode we did the other day, right? This Do Dogs Have Emotions podcast. Um, Consider that. You know, I was going through the comments and stuff on it, obviously. Like yeah. 55 comments. Pretty yeah. good. Look at that. Yeah, there was good comments too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm trying to read which comment it was. There was somebody that said something. There we go. I think this was it. Okay, so let's let's read this real quick here. So as far as the comment on whether or not dogs have emotions, I would ask when the book that the commenter was referring to was written, as the ideas stated sound very similar to Reen Descrati's viewpoint. He believed that dogs, or he believed that animals were nothing more than some kind of machine, that they did not possess conscious or emotions, uh, consciousness or emotions. They did not even feel pain, but that they could be programmed to do certain things. Science has come a long way since Descrates. We now know that dogs have all of the same brain structures that produce emotions in humans. They also have the same hormones and undergo the same chemical changes that we do during emotional states. They even have the hormone oxytocin, which is known as the love hormone. It is the hormone that promotes bonding and feelings of closeness. For example, new mothers get very strong oxytocin surges when they gaze into their baby's eyes. Multiple studies have also been done on oxytocin's effects on the human-dog relationship. They found that when the dog and owners stare into each other's eyes, it creates the same positive feedback loop seen between human mothers and their infants. We stare into the dog's eyes, which causes their oxytocin levels to rise, which causes them to stare back into our eyes, which causes us to release more oxytocin, and so on. One study showed that gazing into each other's eyes caused a 130% rise in the dog's oxytocin levels and a 300% rise in the humans. They also did a study when they gave dogs a dose of oxytocin in nasal spray, then had them spend one-on-one time with their human like they had in the previous study. Interestingly, the oxytocin nasal spray had zero effect on the male dogs and only a small effect on the females, which shows that it is the closeness and time spent with the humans that makes oxytocin important for bonding, not just having more oxytocin by itself. Patricia B. McConnell also has a wonderfully fascinating book on canine emotion called For the Love of Dog, Understanding Emotion in You and Your Best Friend. 
It's full of scientific knowledge and stories from the author's life with her dogs and with those she's worked with. It really is a great read for anyone wanting to learn more on this topic. So I read this and I was like, all right, there's got to be more than I'm missing. And I'm still Mm -hmm. not saying that there's not. But I tried searching everything. I tried searching, do dogs have emotions? I tried searching, you know, dogs have emotions, Patricia McConnell, right? I tried searching all this stuff and I couldn't find fucking shit on it. So (laughs) listen, I I think I said in the comments, I'll have to pick up that book and skim through it and see if I can get some more information. But unfortunately, it seems like most everything I've read in blog posts and YouTube videos, stuff like that, still kind of sits on the they find out what creates positive associations and negative associations, and then they infer the rest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is, I don't even know. Okay, here, let's, let's do this real quick. What is oxytocin? A natural hormone that manages key aspects of the female and male reproductive yeah, system, including labor say. and delivery and lactation, as well as aspects of human behavior. Your hypothalamus makes oxytocin, but your posterior pituitary gland stores and releases it into your bloodstream. What is the function of it? It's a hormone that acts on organs in the body and as a chemical messenger in the brain controlling key aspects of the reproductive system. Yeah, I was going to say it's for reproduction. Interesting. It's like, yeah, dogs are... What triggers the release? Stimulation. Yes. Sexual urges, it yeah. says. <laughs> yeah, sexual arousal. Like it's it's made it's made for reproduction. It's referred purposes. to as our happy hormones. Yeah. Okay, so it's like when you're attracted to okay, interesting. Yeah. Or or you know, I guess in dogs it's probably made f- to make them mate. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't think it's this. Well, I don't know. I I, I know. know. Listen, I'm not a scientist. So I, I know, know but when you this. when you when you look at like the the point of it, it's not because they love like yeah. you know. It's like a biological urge yeah to to want to mate, which would almost make it more interesting why they would sense it when they see their human, you know? <laughs> the yeah. love hormone. Now, see, we're starting to get really off of our fucking expertise here yeah yeah yeah. what is oxytocin all right here we go main function is to facilitate childbirth which is why it's called the love drug or the love hormone this type of hormone in your body that promotes positive feelings so what i would be interested to see is that study that that guy did with the mri Mm -hmm. the reward signals that were firing in the dog's brain right Mm -hmm. is that oxytocin you know what I mean? Yeah. Like what what hormones are being elicited through the dog's body as that kind of stuff is happening, right? Yeah. And is it oxytocin? Because if that's the case, we could say oxytocin is just correlated to extremely positive associations with things, mm-hmm. right? Which, again, the humans are calling this like the love one, but like it's a spectrum, right? Where or it could be a spectrum where like oxytocin on lower ends of the spectrum could just be liking something. Like, I like Josh. Maybe my brain fires oxytocin when I see Josh. I don't know. (laughs) Who knows, right? But on the more intense end of the spectrum you have with your spouse, right? Or dogs when they're mating or any of those types of things. Yeah. So I don't know. 
somebody in the comment section, maybe you want to clarify that. For yeah, us. clear that. Clarify that. Maybe you want to. Maybe somebody knows more about this than we do. Yeah, and can you know anything about oxytocin? Because I don't know anything about oxytocin. If you know anything about oxytocin, let us know. Hit us up. So, so I don't know. You know, I, I kind of stand by everything that I said last time as far as the dogs and emotions things, right? Um, and I'm, I'm still looking for more information on it. I just kind of wanted to give it another stab, you know, because yeah, had some people commenting, things like that. So. Yeah. Well, and the other thing was, I mean, at the end of the conversation, I even asked you, I was like, so what we're saying is they we don't do have, have, yeah, we, we don't really know, but we would, if we were to side with someone, we'd say they have very primitive forms of emotion. Which is positive association, negative yes, association. because the deeper emotions that we as humans have are human constructs. Yeah. Like I said, we've created them to describe the feelings that we have. Mm-hmm. Where at their core, if we were nonverbal, right, we would just yeah. be feeling strong associations of either positive or negative or somewhere in between. Yeah, which is probably how we started out. And, you know, over <clears throat> evolution, we have uh, changed that to be more complex. Yeah. And that's and I you know I, I don't understand why people like see that as a as a bad view like dogs are more have more primitive brains than we do like it's okay that they don't have the same complex emotions. Well, listen, you know, I, I I'm interested to look into that book a little bit. Yeah, see what it has to say. I'm very curious how mm. subjective it is. Yeah, is that the right word? Is that the yeah. word I'm looking for? I you know, I'm so. very yeah. curious how much of it actually is like. You know, science showed us this, 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 and this versus variables that were unaccounted for. Yeah. Isn't it crazy, though? This is where you get into, like, the weird territory of, like, we rely on science for, like, so many different things. But even as you're reading this, like, that guy obviously is a doctor, right, that put this big scientific study into place. But we were able to poke based on a, a 20 minute TED talk, obviously we were able to poke these holes in as far as variables yeah. that are unaccounted for. Yeah. But they drew a conclusion from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder like if you compared it to, you know, if they had an MR, MRI of like people seeing their loved ones or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and or make them angry or tell you know talk about politics make them really mad you know <laughs> I kind of thought that that's where that was going to go actually yeah you know it was yeah. like start comparing some of the stuff that's what I wish would have happened you know? because then it's like is it really because the maybe same? there are with humans and again somebody in the comment section is going to have to send me a fucking YouTube video we can watch <laughs> or something right yeah so I'm I'm curious like as yeah like like you were saying like if all these different emotions humans have if they elicited all of those different emotions while a person was like in an, in an MRI yep. if there were different areas of the brain that were firing mm-hmm. versus with a dog when we put yeah. them into a state of any of these emotions we think that we're seeing out of them yeah if it's just one area that's firing in different ways you know what i'm saying i do yeah because that's really what would determine it is if they they are different emotions or if it's the same emotion being fired in a stronger or 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 less strong way yeah so like yeah i want to i want to see the actual difference between like happy human i love you human yeah yeah. you know you know i want to see the complex differences of that and then see, can is there really any correlation of that the, in the dog's brain of that? Yeah, I don't know. It's like with humans, right? So like, do they like like if you you showed a human like if you showed me my wife versus just a friend? Yeah, right. Are those two completely different firings in my brain? 
Yeah. Somebody I, I really care for, yeah. but somebody that I love, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are those two different firings or are they the same thing? And have we overcomplicated it with humans as well? Right? <laughs> Maybe. Do yeah. we not actually feel things differently? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking the questions I don't yeah. have answers for. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know if you know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So that's what I got. You got anything to add to this? Not really. I mean, a little just, shorter episode, but that's, yeah, all, that's right. all right. I, I just wish, yeah, I, he like, I feel like he just scratched the surface, He's you know, just scratching the surface. Yeah. I wish you, I wish they would have, he wouldn't, you know, he was at a Ted talk, but it's like, if you were a little more in depth about, you know, what your findings, but I do kind of feel like, like humans as well. We've overcomplicated it a little too much for ourselves. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I almost kind of feel like a lot of these things I'm saying about dogs, like if we really were to eliminate all these like words and stuff we've created and just look at our core feelings, they're probably pretty similar. (laughs) You're going to break us down to positive association, (laughs) negative association. I don't know, man. I mean, sure. I mean, you could, I mean, you definitely could. Like I said, I think I said on your graph, like last week, it it's still like you're like happy and love mm-hmm. still in the same quadrant, but it's like we could, I don't know. It's like different points on the graph. I feel like, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's I'm like thinking about it now, yeah. you know, like I'm looking at like more like, like, okay. So one example we used last time was like resentment or, or what was the word I used for like when a human comes home and they think their dog is like the dog thinks they're in trouble and they feel remorse. Yeah. Like resentment or remorse. Right. Those are two, I would say complex human emotions. Right. And why do that? Why would they apply to humans, but not dogs? Right. Mm -hmm. Let's look at resentment. Right. Resentment. I feel like is an emotion of you being able to, to comprehend all of these different things that have happened in the past leading up to this moment mm-hmm. and develop a, a and, and essentially create a negative association in your head. It's not really a conditioned response. Yeah. It's you intellectualizing all of the things that have happened up until this point and you drawing an opinion and you've essentially created a conditioned response in your head. It's not because of something that somebody else necessarily did, yeah. you've created that conditioned response, mm-hmm. right? But because yeah. we don't have any sort of proof that dogs can dwell on the past, past just conditioned associations of things that have actually happened, mm-hmm. right? And they can't sit there in their mind and think about all of these other things. Yeah. I don't think they would be able to comprehend that emotion the same. No. You know? Yeah, I don't think And so. I think that uh, uh, resentment, and what was the other word I used? I don't remember remorse remorse i think is very similar it's a created thing in your head from you thinking on all Mm. of the things you've done right yeah where i think that's a little too complex still with dogs yeah yeah for sure i don't know i yeah i think i think another like good example for humans would be like you know like from like the points that i'm talking about you know on the graph it's like you would you would tell your your wife something that maybe you wouldn't tell a good friend, mm-hmm. you know, like because there's more trust and like comfortability, comfortability mm-hmm. with your wife than you know a friend at work or something like that. Like, yeah. so it's just like 
that's how I see the points of emotion or, or maybe, you know, if you, if we're going like on the graph of, you know, positive association, negative, all that stronger sense of trust and safety. Yeah. Trust and safety, the higher, like someone is in your hierarchy or or how Mm -hmm. you feel around them. Or if you want to go the other way, it's like, uh, you know, um, I don't know how to say I was going to try and think of a negative way to think about it too, but it's like there's the the different points on the graph is how I look at it. Yeah. As far as emotion. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We're getting, (laughs) we're getting, we're getting getting, out of our, our expertise here. Yes, we are. But Hey, it was fun. So that's my opinion on that guys. Yeah. I think that video just kind of reassured my point of view a little bit. Um, and, uh, I'll look into that book and we'll, we'll see what we get from there. But that's, uh, that's dogs and emotions part two for you guys. Yeah. I just think it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, it makes you think though, right? Like I'm just does. sitting here and I just keep thinking of all of these different, like I'm, I'm figuring out new yeah. ways to try to like articulate my opinion on some of this kind of yeah. stuff. And it is forcing me to think a little bit more deeply into some of it still. And oh, yeah, for sure. But you'll never like, we'll never know a hundred percent. Never know. You know, until we, until we get Neuralink and we put, you know, bro, we put one on the dog, Neuralink the dog up. Yeah. It's like, uh, What's that? Uh, what was it? Up with the dog? Oh yeah, yeah. Doug. Was yeah, that his Doug. Name? Yeah. Doug. The, I, I feel like it'll probably be something like Doug. Might be. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> All right, guys. We're gonna end it on that. All right. See you. See you.